Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me today and every Tuesday from now on is the Ringer's Kevin O'Connor. What's up, Kevin? Chris, what's going on, man? So last night around the league, I think the thing that stood out the most was this crazy game by the Greek freak. Ends up with, uh, as you chronicled on the Ringer today, the fourth player since 1984 to have uh, at least 20 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds, 5 steals, 3 blocks. I mean, this is... And the other three were Jordan, Hakeem, and Andre Karolinko. By the way, there's a great bar bet for tonight, right? No one will ever get Karolinko. Um, (laughs) But he is seriously absurd right now, Kevin. Yeah, man. I mean, he's the reason why they won the game. He played all 12 minutes in the fourth quarter, uh, really played well on both ends of the floor. I think yeah, I think over the course of the game, the Bucks were a plus 14 when he was in the game and pretty much when they, anybody else was in, they were either minus or even. I mean, the dude's just a beast. I mean, he does it on both ends of the floor, really. His only issue right now is the jump shot, um, especially in the half court. But every everything else... In the fourth season of his career, I I would say he's far ahead of what I think anybody could have expected when he was drafted. And you mentioned the article today. Um, I was looking back at 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 what John Hammond, their general manager, said about him when he was originally drafted, just because I was curious. I mean, what what were the initial expectations? I just wanted to reread that, and he pretty much said what we're seeing today. They talked about how he's such a Good player at in transition, so fast for his size. I talked about his passing ability, and Hammond said if this if he hits, this kid could be special. And we're really seeing that right now. He's having a career year so far. I remember how absurd it was during the draft, right? Like we didn't really know anything about him. And then of course they do the whole Fran Frischilla thing. Fran knows everybody that plays anywhere, even in the most ridiculous gyms. They showed this like uh they showed this video and he's playing in what appears to be this desolate church gym against like a bunch of 5'8 white guys and you're like okay like he looks pretty awesome but I mean look at like where is he playing yeah it it was weird scouting him because uh, so the 2013 draft definitely wasn't my best year I missed on some guys but I also hit on some and, and I was pretty high on Giannis I believe I had him ranked ninth which was a lot higher than I think um, the average uh, ranking was for him. Just because you mentioned, even though it was hard to scout him, it was just the sheer size he had. Um, I think he's seven foot now, but he was a little bit shorty when he was originally drafted. Just for his ability to move so smoothly up and down the court, take rebounds and go coast to coast, there was always concerns about the, his jump shot, and there still is today. But he had the passing ability back then, um, and that could be seen against these uh, small guys and these <laughs> desolate church gyms, like you said. But everything was there in those gyms that we see today. Um, the fact that it's translated so quickly, however, that's kind of the surprise to me. Well, and the I other think thing is, like, just as you're, you're mentioned, like when you, you mentioned in the article, which I don't know. I guess, you know, I realized that he was very young when he was drafted. Yeah. But your note that he won't turn 22 for two more weeks. Yeah. I was like, wait, yep. what? It seems like he'd been around, you know? I know. Well, it is his fourth season, and that that's the crazy thing. But And, and that, that speaks to his work ethic and to the Bucks coaching staff for really developing him as a player um, and for the front office for continuing to surround him with talent like Jabari Parker and Chris Middleton. Um, they've really built a nice, solid young team. And credit go, goes to everybody for a guy who's developed so quickly. It's been really fun to watch. And really the next key, I mean, he, he could stay – 
at the level he is today, not get better at anything and still be a great player for the rest of his career. But if he improves his jump shot, the sky is the limit really for him. He could become a top 10 player. Well, here's the uh, here's the interesting thing is you went if if I go back, I gotta find that uh, GM survey because now that you mentioned the whole his age thing, I wondered back. Do you remember the whole if you were starting a franchise today and you could sign any player and Towns like ran away with it. In fact, the top yep. three were Towns, Durant, LeBron James. Now usually they would you know it's young guys that make that list. Famously, Anthony Davis was the overwhelming pick last year. This year. It's Carl Anthony Towns. Not, not even a vote for somebody like Giannis. Like, I do wonder where he ranks on the young players in the league. If you're just trying to get a, a cornerstone guy, right? Um, it'd be hard to come up with a guy that's got his talent and ability already and that age. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at this year, so there wasn't a vote for him. Last year, I didn't see a vote for him. Last year, it was all Davis, Durant, and LeBron. Um, this year, there's a bunch of guys. But, yeah, you know what? I, I do wonder, like, if, you know, if you made – if John Schumann for that list made every team pick a top five, um, how often will we find Antetokounmpo in that top five? That, that would be something interesting because I would assume there's some teams who view him as <laughs> a potential best player in the league if he has that jump shot because, really – I mean, he's not missing much else at this stage of his career. And like we talked about, he's not even 22 yet. It's nuts. Let me go look up that 2013 NBA draft. You said you had some misses on it. This was a weak draft. Um, Anthony Bennett, yeah, Oladipo, Oladipo Por- Otto Porter, Cody Zeller, Alex Lynn, Nerlens Noel. God, this is a <laughs> – this is the, McCollum at 10. Um, and then you get down to uh, the Greek freak at 15. I mean, Stephen yeah. Adams went 12. You think he goes one? If we redo the 2013 oh, yeah. draft, he goes oh, one, yeah. and I guess McCollum goes two, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I think, I mean, top five probably Giannis, Stephen Adams, C.J. McCollum, um, maybe Caldwell Pope, Otto Porter, Noel. Um, Dennis Schroeder. Maybe, maybe that, yeah, Schroeder would be in that conversation. I mean, there's really not a lot of talent in this draft. There was a, it was a very difficult draft to scout. Oh, oh, we missed Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert, yeah, that's He's right. 27th. Yeah. Good yep. grief. So yep. Giannis, Giannis, Giannis went 15 and Gobert went 27. The two Jeez. biggest misses yep. were the guys from overseas for yep. sure. Right? I think that's fair yep. to say. So, yeah, he was the big standout from last night. I think the other thing is – that I I know that they were without Paul George last night uh, in in Indiana, but Golden State has gotten this thing humming now. Their offense is like just uh, their defense can be possibly their Achilles heel at some point, I suppose. But offensively, when we predicted or everybody thought that they were going to be possibly one of the most devastating offenses we'd ever seen, it looks like it's on the fast track to getting there sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah, you said it, Chris. I think, I think in some ways, <clears throat> the early season losses, um, people overreacted to them. Uh, in some ways, I had a conversation with another writer the other night, and and he said to me, Kevin, do you think they need a rim protector? And I was like, Yeah, you know, it would be good for them to go out and get one. And and his response was, No, no, no. I mean, do they need a rim protector? Can they win the finals with the team they have now? And it's like, well, no, they don't need a rim protector. They could easily win with the squad that they're rolling. Um, and, and they're not even hitting on all cylinders right now. You're right, they are starting to tick. But 
doesn't it feel like they, they still haven't had that 145, 150 point game that they really are truly capable of? Yeah. Um, uh, I think they're really capable of uh, a special performance like that that they haven't shown yet. Regarding the standings as of today, it really feels like in the Western Conference, there's the Clippers, the Warriors, the Spurs, and then it's mm-hmm. just a it's just a grab bag of everybody else, except for obviously the teams that are that are, that are at the bottom, right? We're we're pretty confident in what what the Mavs and the Suns and the Pelicans are probably capable of. Yeah, all those teams are bad, but those other, t- I mean, outside of, doesn't it feel like there is a there's a big separation between those top three right now and then kind of just everybody else is in the mix together. Yeah. Yep. I'd say there's the top three and then there's the bottom one or two and then everybody else. Okay. So what do we do in tiers in the East? Is it Cleveland and then everybody else? Because the third place team, (laughs) listen, the third place team in the East right now is the Bulls and the fourth place is the Hornets. Yeah. um, uh, I would say Cleveland in some ways in the East, I wonder, like you mentioned how Bulls are three and Hornets are four. In some ways, I still put the Raptors and the Celtics ahead of them. Right. <laughs> I'm not sold on them quite yet, but really it's still close that, you know, if you even if you throw them into the same group at this point of the year. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say there's Cleveland, then there's that Hawks, Bulls, Hornets, Raptors, Celtics group. And then after that, it's really hard to distinguish between the two years. You wrote yesterday about teams that should already think about tanking. One of those that we covered last week was Sacramento, where it's like they're kind of just right in the middle. Um, They're not good, but they're not horrific, and they're clearly playing to win. Um, I I really don't think they're going to tank, Kevin. In fact, I'd be shocked, especially with the new arena. They got the new arena. They've got the new coach. I think they really like think they can win, and they're just you know being they're they're foolish thinking they can win big. Um, but that was one of the teams you mentioned. So if you can just touch on Sacramento, and then who else do you think should already just pull the plug and decide? All right, we're gonna just endure the long season that it takes in order to get a high draft pick. Yeah. So with with the Kings. I agree with you that I don't think they're going to tank. I think the only way they would tank is if they decided, okay, we're going to trade Cousins and we're going to trade Rudy Gay. Um, I think then they would they would be tanking by default. They just would be a team that's in a rebuilding phase. Um, I think I, th- I think the main thing is Sacramento, even if they continue, <clears throat> even if they have solid performances, um, they've had some close games this year. They had the controversial win on Sunday night against the Raptors with that um, buzzer, t- uh, the game tying three that was called off. Um, they looked better that game. I like I like the small ball lineup um, with Cousins at center. But even if they, you know, just come up with a, a few wins to get into the eighth seed all you're waiting for is just that beatdown in the first round. And I just, my, my main priority with the Kings, if I'm running the team, <clears throat> I'm saying to myself, how can we win a title? How can we best position ourselves to win a title? And sure, you could make an argument that hanging on to Boogie is the best route there. But when 2018 free agency comes, or even better, when the start of the 2017 season comes, you're going to have that looming over your year the entire time. And I'm not convinced that Cousins would stay. I know a lot of Kings fans tout his loyalty and and believe that he's someone who's going to want to stick with it. But 
I mean, come on. <laughs> I just don't see how it's realistic at all to assume that Cousins would enter 2018 free agency, be wooed by some possibly some winning organizations that are offering him just as much money. And he's going to stay in Sacramento, which he has never made the playoffs, um, which has been dysfunctional every season of his career, which has had six coaches and now it's seventh season. I just don't see... I just don't see the, how, how people can think that he'll stay there. So with that in mind, if you're the Kings, maybe the best path is to just move on from him and take what could be a very, very um, healthy trade package, maybe, including, including a top 10 pick, a young player, maybe two picks. I don't know what the package would be, but whatever it is, I think that would position you to rebuild Without worrying about having to win games right now, you can play your young players, you can play Scalabissier, you can play Papianas, you can play all these young guys and develop. Maybe, maybe Dave Yeager didn't sign up for that, but I, I don't know if he's signing up on being the sixth coach that gets fired um, over the Cousins tenure. So, look, I, I just think development and going the young route is the best route for them, and maybe they'll see that eventually. And maybe they'll they'll quote unquote tank the year when really it's just a focus on development. But they need to trade cousins first for that to ever happen. Let me let me slow you down just for a second. First <laughs> thing I'd do is trade Rudy Gay. The Grizzlies traded Rudy Gay and made the Western Conference Finals. The Toronto Raptors <laughs> traded Rudy Gay and ended oh, up man. becoming an Eastern Conference Finals team. The trick Whoa. in the NBA is trading Rudy Gay. Trust okay. me. So, so you're trick. saying trade Rudy Gay, and then suddenly they're going to start winning games, and then they're going to be like, okay. Do you have any that. evidence to suggest that trading Rudy Gay does not make you awesome? <laughs> no, I, I don't, okay. Chris. I don't there have is no evidence, evidence to the contrary. If you trade Rudy Gay, if you trade Rudy Gay or Jeff Green, you become awesome. End of story. Yeah. And Jeff Green too. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what Orlando was thinking getting Jeff Green, but pff, that's another story. Yeah, so that's what I would do. If you want to, it, this is very simple. I mean, not that I'm uh, not that I'm an NBA advisor, but from what yeah. I know, the, the evidence suggests that if you trade Rudy Gay, you become awesome. It's happened mm-hmm. to two teams already. I won't argue that, Chris. I won't. Will not argue that. <laughs> All right. So the other teams that should be tanking, um, Dallas, of course, right? Yeah, I mean, like what is what is the best possible scenario for Dallas? I don't think Cuban is going to be able to do it. Um, I, you know, he, he probably knows, and maybe he's more pragmatic than I think, but I will tell you that they played against the Grizzlies on Friday night and scored 64 points in the game. It was one of the worst NBA efforts I've ever seen in my life. Okay. And Chandler, that was Chandler Parsons return to Dallas and Parsons hit a three in the corner and then blew a kiss to him. Right. And and blew blew a kiss to Cuba. Oh, Chandler. Now, well, those guys are their buddies. They're thick as thieves, right? Or were, at least. And after the game, there is a photo. I mean, you could probably find it somewhere. There is a photo of them embracing after the game. And you can see that Cuban, like, gets up in his ear, right, to, like, say something. And I actually, I asked Parsons what Cuban said to him. And he said, don't you ever effing blow a kiss at me again. <laughs> like, and he's smiling. It's almost like a, you know, like, it's almost like when you see like those old gangster movies and the mob is like, you know, they're hugging you and smiling you, but then they're saying something in your ear that does not match their expression. <laughs> right. And he's like, and he was, he was just mad. He's just mad about, he sits through those games and he lives and dies with it. And it is, 
you got to think, man, that's 70 more games of just being awful. And I wonder if he thinks if we get Devin Harris back, if we get Darren Williams back, if we get Dirk back, if we get Bogut back, we could salvage a season. You obviously think that that's not so. I mean, I do think they are going to at least try to win once they get – you know, Dirk back and Darren Williams back, but it just doesn't seem like it's a, it's a feasible thing for them this year. They, they don't have a good team even when those guys return. And there's <clears throat> the serious question, you know, how good will Dirk re- actually be? I mean, those Achilles injuries or something that can linger over the course of the year. Maybe it's the type of thing where he's not able to play back to backs or they have to rest him here and there. I just look at their squad and I'm thinking to myself, even with Dirk, they're uh bottom five team, right? I, I would I would say they're at least still a bottom five team because Dirk Dirk can't carry them like he used to, I don't think. Um so with Dallas, maybe the best path is to rebuild. And that's a tough thing to do when Dirk is in the twilight of his career. Um he would probably need to sign off on uh on it a little bit, at least. Um, but he still has that other year. Maybe they can tank this season and then come back next year trying to compete they could have a fast turnaround this summer and that's kind of the 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 topic here is you know tanking doesn't necessarily mean they have to rebuild you know i mentioned with miami but it also applies to dallas that pat riley has said before that he has no interest in in going through the draft he wants the fast rebuilds the trades and you set yourself up for those trades when you have those top picks right so if you're Miami or you're Dallas and you end up with the number one pick or you're any other team for that matter that has a top top one or two, three pick, you can use that asset in potential trades. We don't know who would become available. Um, that's unpredictable. It's also possible that there are no players, no star players available this summer. But if they are available, you're positioned to really go for that guy by having the top pick um, that possibly that you otherwise never would have had if you didn't tank a couple games towards the end of the season to try to get. All right. Well, the big thing about tanking is, you know, it's you're, you're tanking because it's a, a for the draft. And I have not started looking into this. How is this draft considered to be like a loaded draft or a really good draft? Yeah. So <clears throat> this year's draft, I would say it's more top heavy. There's a lot of um, potential star talent in the lottery so last year i think it kind of fell off after the first five guys in my opinion um i know there's a clearly defined top two with ben simmons and brandon ingram but i kind of had the top five in in one group this year it's hard to pick out one guy that is is the guy that you're tanking for in my opinion it's markel fultz but in someone else's eyes it might be jason tatum to someone else, uh, it might be forward Josh Jackson from Kansas. To someone else, it, it could be Dennis Smith, a point guard from NC State. Um, this is a draft where there's arguments to be made for different players at this time, at least. That could change by June when when the draft is actually happening. But there's a lot of guys that you could look at and say, okay, they belong in the top three. And those guys go down to maybe the 13th pick or so um, at this stage. So I'd say throw the whole lottery there's potential stars and I don't want to, I don't want to overhype the draft because all these guys aren't going to, all these guys aren't going to become stars, but there are players that you can look at and see star potential. Um, And that's a little bit different than the past few years where it would fall off after the top five or six. Um, So you don't necessarily need to tank to have a, a shot at a star player, but 
obviously you want to be higher in the pecking order to have your choice at a guy. And like I said before, some of these guys are going to rise. I think a guy like Markel Fultz, in my opinion, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, I view him as, as the clear guy who is the number one pick, and I don't expect that to change at all. If anything, I think it will be reinforced. So I think he's the guy um, to tank for. Um, just a, a, I don't want to compare him to James Harden, but at the same time, the pace he plays with, um, he can turn it up. Uh, just his ability to score from all levels of the floor, um, to shoot threes at, at his at his age. He's just a really good, versatile guard that he's exactly the type of guy you want to build around in today's NBA. All right, a quick word from our sponsors. It's officially basketball season, so it's time to ask yourself a crucial question. Where will you be watching the games? Parked on a stool at a crusty sports bar? Pass. Crammed onto your friend's couch? Meh. You can do better. With Sling TV, watch NBA basketball on your terms and your turf. The Sling Orange service has live hoops you love on ESPN and TNT, as well as shows, sports, news, and more of the top networks, all for just 20 bucks a month. Get instant access to must-see games, expert commentary and analysis, the best of live TV, all for a low monthly price, no long-term contracts, no hidden fees, and easy online cancellation. Start watching for seven days free at sling.com backslash ringernba. Restrictions apply. Ringer NBA show also brought to you by Jesus and Mero. Late night TV just got darker. Jesus Nice and the Kid Mero have landed their own late night TV show on Viceland, the new TV channel from Vice. It's called Jesus and Mero. Late nights at 11 p.m. You may know these guys from the Bodega Boys podcast. Yes, podcasters can become TV stars these days. You might also know them from Twitter.com. Apparently, Twitter people can get TV shows too. This is not your typical late night show. No A-list celebrities with their movies, no scripted jokes, no band, just two guys from the Bronx giving you their takes on culture, politics, sports, entertainment, and other subjects they don't really know anything about. Watch the show because Miro has mad kids and Jesus loves sneakers and they're funny and other late night shows are corny. Watch Jesus and Miro on TV on Viceland every Monday through Thursday night at 11 p.m. Go to Viceland.com to find out your channel and check out some free episodes. The brand is strong. All right, Kevin, now that we've talked about the teams that we think should tank and then this uh, Fultz that you think it would be worth tanking for, let me get to something else you wrote about recently, which is guys that can fix their shot. You wrote about it in the terms of the Kawhi effect. And guys that come into the league, I believe Kawhi Leonard hit like 25% of his threes his last two years at San Diego State and clearly is one of the it has transformed himself into an extremely good shooter. And you used a couple of different guys. Uh, you used Justice Winslow, you used Andrew Wiggins. And I think even earlier in the show, we talked about the Greek freak, and right? Like he would be a yep. jump shot away from being maybe the most devastating player we could possibly imagine. Um, if you can, just speak to this whole Kawhi effect and, and, and what you think it means towards the future of young guys coming in the league and then maybe patience with the shot. So with the quiet effect, it's it's not like it's necessarily anything new that, you know, teams look at athletic players and they think, oh, if only he could develop a jump shot. Right. But I think with Kawhi, it's kind of warped our expectations that, you know, a guy can step in and then suddenly become a 40% three-point shooter. That's really unique what happened in San Antonio. Um, I think it comes from his coaching, from his work ethic, and maybe just – just pure luck in some ways that he was able to become such a great shooter so quickly. And he's still, he's constantly getting better as well. Um, so guys like Andrew Wiggins, 
for him, it's been more of a progressive thing. Uh, he shot roughly 30% from three in his first two NBA seasons. And this summer, he worked on his shot mechanics more. It was an area of focus between him and his trainer, Drew Hanlon. And we're seeing the early results. Now, it's probably not going to be sustainable at whatever percentage he is now. I believe like 45% from three. But if he's hovering around 38% over the, the full season, that's a remarkable improvement for him in a single summer after a single summer of work. And that changes everything for a guy. So, I, you know, the other guys we talked about were Justice Winslow and Marcus Smart. Um, Winslow's shot is just not there yet. But if it is, that opens up everything for him. Having the jump shot enhances all his really premier abilities. He's a really good ball handler for his size, a good playmaker, a guy who can drive to the rim. But not having the jump shot, I don't think, gives him – it doesn't allow him to always be a threat on the floor, right? Um, right now, he's a guy who's a threat kind of with the ball in his hands and in transition. But if he can become a good shooter, like, you know, Andrew Wiggins, like Kawhi Leonard, then it opens up everything. There um, was a there was an article. This is a fascinating subject to me because I remember, and I think people could probably Google it and go look this up, but the local paper in San Antonio, the San Antonio Express News, at one point wrote this, it was like a series, and it was how the Spurs built Kawhi Leonard. Um, and it's really good for any basketball fan out there. I would encourage you to go check it out. But I remember one of the stories from that article that has stuck with me was they have the, you even mentioned the coach, uh, was it England? Is it Chip England, the yep. shooting coach there? Yep. Okay, that they had gotten him, they had drafted Kawhi Leonard, and that was a big risk for them to uh, trade George Hill. And then draft him. But they had looked at his shot and thought this is correctable. And one of the things that I believe it was England said that Richard Jefferson, when they had gotten him, I believe from Milwaukee, that he was like 30 years old and they fixed his shot. And that Kawhi's was a lot like his. But what happened is, if you go back in time, and this is an interesting thing in the development of what is a superstar player right now and why I remember this article so much. So Kawhi gets drafted. And then if uh, this kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but there was the lockout. So they brought Kawhi in and worked with him and worked with him and worked with him. And then the lockout. And so then he had until all the way until December. And they gave him like things that he worked on. And, and evidently Kawhi wrote down everything the guy said, right? Everything the guy said, Kawhi wrote it down. And then what happened is during the lockout, Kawhi just went and he went to a gym. And they gave him, like, the workouts to do. And he just did those workouts every single day. Just, like, thousands of shots, right? <laughs> every single day. And when he came back, it wasn't, as they said, like a perfect form, but they were right there. They were almost there. So to your point, like, A, it takes some, obviously, good skill coaching, but so much is just dependent on the guy. You know, you can teach him what to do, and then as long as he's not going to revert to back to what he always did and is really committed to changing his style, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for that because – and I do wonder if, like, what if there's not the lockout, right? There's not a lot yeah. of practice time in the NBA. There's just not, you know? And so does that develop the same way if he's just not in an empty gym? Because really you just have the summer. It's hard to – change everything during the course of the year you're playing games you're traveling there's really not a lot of practice time and so 
anyway, just to the whole fixing that shot and like when you say, like I, I feel like it it needs to be the summers almost when these guys fix it. It just so happened in his case there was a lockout. Yeah, it, it has to be the summer. I'd say, and you know, last last month we published uh, an article called "Meet the NBA Shot Doctors," and and I talked to a couple different shooting coaches across the NBA: John Townsend from the Sixers and Ben Sullivan <clears throat> from the Hawks. And you know, that's really kind of one of the common things that you know everybody I talked to said is that a guy you know wants to be willing to improve. They need to do to embrace change. They need to embrace. Um, sticking to developing their mechanics because it's hard to to change your habits sometimes you know as people and never mind as shooters when you've been shooting a certain way for maybe your entire life i mean you mentioned richard jefferson there's other players you know whose shots have been changed by chip england tony parker i I believe grant hill shane battier um, a lot of guys over the years and Kawhi is really just the prime example but um in that article, um, I talked to Kent Bazemore as well, and he went into great detail of of the things that him and Ben Sullivan went through to really change their shot. And it's hard. It's the type of thing that has to happen over the summer. And then over the course of the regular season, you need to maintain those mechanics. So there needs to be sometimes maintenance. Um and this is the type of thing that I think happens in baseball. Um, hitters and pitchers will watch film of their mechanics and they'll do little tweaks to maybe get themselves out of a slump or to, to revert their batting stance to the position that it should be if, if something wrong is happening. And that's it's the same thing in the NBA, but the NBA doesn't have that same mindset. Uh, Kent Bazemore compared um, the, shot, the shot to like a golf swing. And again, that's another sport where players are constantly checking their mechanics. Um, when they're not playing so look i think in basketball the one thing that really needs to happen is you need to have a coach who has a mindset that works with the player and the player needs to be open to receiving that type of coaching and it's not it's not going to happen if you have a guy who says no no i just go out there and shoot the player needs to be open to change and open to really improving the little things of 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 their shot to really become a great shooter and it's not just basketball and baseball. I recall years ago, there, um, you, Tim Tebow, who was an outstanding, you know, Tebow. as good a college player as you can imagine, uh, two guys, one that is now the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M named uh, Noel Mazzoni, another guy who's a quarterback coach named Zeke Bartkowski, they took, they took Tebow and they took him for like, you know, a month and a half straight and basically put him in a lab and by the time he was going through his workouts and like everything for NFL teams, he's his throwing motion, his drops, everything like they had just trained him to do everything that way. Now, and of course, the guy like Tebow can't throw a you know a football through a sixty-inch TV screen from three feet away, but they had they tricked the world i mean they got him drafted in the first round and then of course he went to training camp and then he got you know on an nfl team and he went back to throwing this sidearm crap that he always had right <laughs> yeah, yeah, so i mean yeah. like you can but like you know that was the deal like dude just throw like this until you get drafted and then whatever and then you know well, you, you know you I mean, end I mean, up a lot of guys fall back into what they've done for the yeah. last 20 something years and been successful doing I mean, it's not like they may want him to to maintain those mechanics. It's just it's hard to do. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to do. And that's why with Ka- the Kawhi effect, to kind of circle back to that, not every player can do what Kawhi did. It takes a lot of luck, and it just takes just an incredible 
I don't, a work ethic. It doesn't mean you don't have a work ethic if you can't do it because, you know, every I think everybody has their limits to an extent, but but it takes just extraordinary circumstances when it comes to coaching to, you know, personal success to really reach that level to just to make these your new mechanics. And sometimes it's hard for the body just to take that on. That, that happened with Tebow. Like you said, he went back to his weird little windup um, uh, when he threw the ball. And for some players, it happens with their jump shots. And that's what Drew Hanlon said in a separate interview um, in regards to Andrew Wiggins, that the key for him now is just to maintain what he's doing over the course of the season, you need to make that your habit, make that your feel like your natural shooting motion and never revert back to what you're, what you've done before. So it's hard for these players to do that. And no matter what the sport is, no matter what the motion is, whether it's your, your swing, you're, you're throwing a football or you're shooting a basketball, you're swinging a golf club. It's hard to change mechanics, but it is doable over time, constantly working and getting the right type of coaching. Cause not every coaching will get you to that level. I also wanted to ask you about an article you wrote recently about the collective bargaining agreement and that uh, it, it appears as if the NBA, that like we could get an announcement sooner than later on this and there will be no fear. Everybody's making a, a boatload of money, and so we, at least it would take the fear of a, of a potential lockout um, out, and you'd have to give great kudos to, uh, to Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts for being able to get this done. But you had some of the things that are going to be changed in this collective bargaining agreement. Uh, preseason shortened. Everybody is, of course, in favor of that. Um, an amped up domestic violence policy. And I think that, you know, this is a new world, especially since the really since the Ray Rice thing, wouldn't you say? I mean, that, that, that changed everything in all professional sports and yeah. collegiate sports for that matter. Right. Because it was really the first time that there was a visual of what takes place. And so now every time you hear about domestic violence, that's what you think about. It's just the way it is, right? Because there was never – everybody always could just say, oh, you know, maybe it's a he said, she said, or, you know. But seeing in in that kind of uh, massive way what it looks like um, I think was so jarring to everybody that now it's not one of those things that there's not a visual attached to. Um, domestic violence is attached to that Ray Rice video, and so all these leagues are being – incredibly careful about the other thing was the drug testing procedure um which was fascinating to me so if you can just kind of go through some of the tweaks and some of the uh, agreements that are going to be made and what effect do you think it could possibly have so with the preseason being shortened uh, it's unclear how much it'll be shortened um right now i think i think it's seven games or eight games uh Maybe that goes down to four or five. And if they were to do that, that would enable them to move the start of the regular season up. And if they were to do that, they would have more flexibility, more available days during the year. So that could potentially limit the amount of back-to-backs uh, team have, teams have. It could, it could completely eliminate the instances of four games and five nights. So that would be a great thing, not just for having less preseason games, but also having a uh, Better, better scheduling during the course of the year because I, I, no player wants to play back-to-back. Um, no player wants to play four games in five nights, and they've done a good job at, at limiting those instances in, past, in the past two seasons, including this one, but they could really take it to the next level by moving the start of the regular season up. You mentioned the domestic violence policy. Uh, again, it's unclear what exactly it'll be, but they're at least going to have a structure. The current CBA calls for a minimum 10-game suspension for players convicted of a violent felony. Uh, 
it'll, the language will change. But really, the main thing that I understood is that they're also going to have these players. Um, they're also going to provide guidance to these guys. Um, they're going to help them out, they help their families out when things like this happen. It's not just going to be punishment. It's also going to be um, assisting them through the process. Well, and the other thing, and this is a lesson from the NFL, th- this is a lesson from the NFL and the catastrophe they've had, is getting together some kind of language and plan where there is, you know, an agreement between players' association and commissioner and or task force because what happened in the NFL is you have this one guy who lords over everything and yeah. makes verdict and then when you you know when you when you, when you say all right let's arbitrate this he's the damn arbiter you know like <laughs> so, right so like he's like yeah, he like he like gives you joke. the punishment and then you go back into him and you're like okay how about how about less punishment and you know there is no like other guy to get to talk to and so that's that I think that is the NFL screw up so badly on this was extremely instructive, I think, and especially for the NBA and the fact that, you know, you do, in fairness, you get, you, you, you get to not make those mistakes. If you made those mistakes after you have seen the catastrophe that the NFL has been in these particular types of cases, then that's on you, man. But I'd, I'd figure, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine they get it right, you know, or at least they can learn from the NFL's mistakes to get it right. Yeah, I would say I would say just do the opposite of what the NFL does. Right. So if if tomorrow there or let's say in May there's a story LeBron James allegedly deflates a basketball before a game, <laughs> don't don't drag him through the mud if it's just allegedly and there's no evidence um, of that. Especially if they brought the ball out into the cold before the game. Um, that, Who that's was the guy? It wasn't there like a guy. I remember reading a book one time. I think it was I think it was Bill Bradley, the guy that became the senator. I think I'd have to. I don't know. Somebody, somebody that listens to the podcast is gonna tell me what. But he used to like carry a needle out to the floor. I'm being serious about this. And he would ask the refs for the ball, and he would like sneaky, like deflate it a little bit. I'm like you. Shaq, you made that. J- Shaq, Shaq said. Shaq and Phil Jackson both admitted that they plated balls. I mean, he, <laughs> who, who, know, who knows if they're even being serious? But that's just a, that's just a silly story, and I still can't believe it actually happened. All right, let's get to the drug testing procedure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the drug testing, it doesn't sound like they're going to remove marijuana off the banned substance list, despite the fact that um, there are now a total of 20 teams out of 30 that at least partially have marijuana legalized, whether it's for recreational reasons or for med- medical reasons. So um, that doesn't seem like it's going to change, which is a little bit surprising to me. Um, maybe that'll change by the time this is finalized. But what does sound like it'll change is the drug testing process. Um, I was told that it'll be it'll be tightened, so players won't have to hang around in the locker room for 90 minutes to a, two hours after the game. Um, now it's going to be a tighter process, easier for the players to get their testing done, and then they're done. Um, so wow. players seem to be okay with that. Maybe that's the compromise. I I, I don't really know, um, but it does seem like it's going to stay on the banned substance list. Yeah, NBA doesn't care about weed. They don't. <laughs> they don't. How, how many they're guys? Just, how many? How many? Like you got You got to get pulled over with it. Seriously, I mean, what is it? What is it? PR to keep it on? I mean, you're you're right. I don't think they care either. No, but no, no. But I'm saying how many guys? Well, listen, I'm saying how many guys they suspend over this stuff? Oh, oh I know. It, it, it's it, it's essentially not a problem, right? And I think you got to fail three times before anybody even knows. 
Like you wouldn't even. Yeah. I could go. Yeah. You could. You could test me twice. Like first they'll do the counseling crap, and then they'll do whatever. So I mean, like you got to be a real bozo to get caught like three times in a season. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, after yeah. because it doesn't even become public. You and I wouldn't even know if a guy smokes weed until. I mean, you got to get pulled over in a hot boxed car with a little sack. <laughs> you know what I mean? To, like to get busted for weed in the NBA. I I remember Kevin Durant a couple summers ago. There was the thing on yeah. TMZ or somewhere where the the little the little canister of medicinal marijuana rolled out of the the truck when he was getting yeah. out of a of a. But they don't test during the summer, so that, that's yeah. okay. No, it's it, the hard drugs. They still do care. Like you know, what yeah. I mean, you can't you can't be you can't be tested. And the big thing is uh, codeine. Honestly, um, yeah, pur- yep. purple drink as they call it. They. Yep. Um, you know they don't want any part of that, but I, I, I mean, I don't think it matters whether weed's on the banned list or not. They, they clearly, unless you want to believe that these guys don't smoke weed, it just doesn't get enforced. Like, come on, like it never gets enforced. How many guys? How many guys are sitting out because they smoke weed? Like no Mitch way. McGarry, Larry <laughs> Sanders. There's Mitch guys. McGarry. There's guys that are losing jobs that are that are having their careers ruined because it's on the banned substances and maybe those maybe those guys actually do have a problem um maybe they actually do um but there's also a chance that they just really like smoking weed well, but you got to remember kevin you got to get caught like three times <laughs> i know like i, know. I mean that, that I know. yes you have a pro- if you get caught twice and you know you've already gotten caught twice and you still are smoking weed like come on get real. oh yeah you're right you know what i mean because first you got to get caught twice and then still do it. Yeah, and you know you've been caught twice. Um, all right, so there's some of the CBA stuff. All right, let me hit you with some uh, some quick hits to uh, round off this podcast, things that have happened in the last week. One of the things that you mentioned uh, in a sidebar, or rather a note in one of your articles, was we thought maybe going into the year that it might be a goofy fit for Evan Turner in Portland. Because you have guys that dominate the ball there, and he was a guy that Brad Stevens once realized he can make plays, but he's got to have the ball in his hands in order to be an effective player. Um, Now he is on a team where other guys need the ball, and frankly, better players need the ball than him. This this has gotten off to a very poor start for uh, for a big free agent signing in Portland. Yeah, uh, Evan Turner had his best game on Sunday night, and it was perhaps his only good game of the season so far, at least at least statistically. Um, Turner, Turner last season, I think kind of the dirty little secret was that statistically the Celtics were, again, better when he was off the floor than they were when he was on the floor. And that's what we're seeing to the extreme this year with the Blazers. And the reason why is because he's good. He's effective when he has the ball in his hands, when he's running pick and roll and he's driving to the rim and either drawing fouls or creating for others. He's good. <laughs> but when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he is a complete non-factor. Um, you're not worried about him shooting threes. You're, you're begging him to shoot threes if you're a defense. Um, and that's the issue. You, you have a guy that needs the ball in his hands to be an effective player on the offensive end. And look, they're not going to take the ball out of Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum's hands and, and, and let Turner go to work. Um, but those guys are all-star level players. So with Turner, I think, I think really it's up to him to improve as a shooter off, off the ball, off the catch. So he's not a, so he doesn't limit their offensive spacing when he's on the floor, because then 
he can be a th- at least a mild threat to shoot and a pretty good threat in the pick and roll or in isolation situations or in post-ups because he's not a bad player. I-, I view him personally as a Andre Iguodala light type of player. He's not quite Iggy's level on either end of the floor, but he's he can do a lot of different things. He rebounds, defends multiple positions. He's really good against mis- mismatches. I-, I like Turner a lot, but he needs to improve his jump shot in order to be effective at all times on the floor. Under Armour CEO says sales are down for the Steph Curry shoes. Your thoughts? Ah, man, I'll tell you what, Chris. I don't know anything about shoes. (laughs) What what, what kind of shoes are you wearing right now? Uh, Right now I have socks on. (laughs) (laughs) What pair, what shoes do you wear most often? Um, So I, I like... I like wearing Vans, and I do have these Under Armour running shoes. Uh, they're not they're not Steph Curry's, but but they're Vans. very very comfortable. You, 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 are, you, are you a skater? Uh, no, I'm not a no. It's van- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Skaters just wear Vans. No, I like I like Vans. Um, no, I'm not I'm not a shoe guy, man. Never have been. I just can't stomach spending three hundred dollars on a pair. That, that's just me, though. I, I think it's cool if other people are into it. Well, I'm wearing a pair of Jordan Three Cements, so I can't speak. Um, <laughs> now, part of the Curry thing is the shoes weren't that great looking. I actually uh, like the were. new ones, but the other thing is, like, hey, surprise, surprise! The guy that was like the best player on a team that blew a three-one lead, like, isn't selling as many shoes as when he won the title. Like. <laughs> like Imagine that, right? Like, I mean, people rock with winners. I bet LeBron's sales are great. You are right, though, Chris. I mean, those were some ugly-ass shoes. Right? I, I have I mean, those. They, they, they became a meme on the internet. I have them. I have you those. You have them? I do. Oh, I do. I, I have a pair. I said if Jeez, they won Chris. game f- I said if they won uh, game four, I would buy them. And they won that <laughs> game four in Cleveland. And then, of course, Draymond, you know, hit a guy in the nards, and they blew the series. Yeah. I did buy them almost. It was. It was. I was just trying to be counterculture, kind of so like you, you bought the, the white v- ones. Yeah. Oh God. Yes, I bought oh, the white okay. ones. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> oh yeah. Because everybody was hating on them so much that I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be counterculture. All yeah. right. I'm gonna show you. Like you hate these so much and you're goofing on them so much. I'm gonna buy them just to spite you. <laughs> and I will tell you that I. Uh, I respect that. I, but I will tell you that, like, I, I bought them because you see the memes and you see the pictures and whatever, and then I bought them, A, extremely comfortable, but B, uglier in person than they are on the internet. <laughs> oh, I saw them when I was shopping for my, my running Yeah, they're running outrageous. Shoes. Yeah, and I, I looked at them in person, and, and, I, and I tried on <laughs> and a pair then, and and like, the, they, they don't feel yeah. great. Don't and it's, well, no, they feel good, but it's like a... It's like a pillow tongue. Like the the whole thing is just the whole, the whole shoe is just a debacle. It really yeah, is. It is. Um, all right, Detroit possibly moving downtown. There was a report that uh, the Detroit Pistons. I don't know. Have you ever been there? I've been there once. I have not, Chris. Okay. When you Tell me get, about it, it. I don't know how many people know this. All right. A the arena is frigging huge. Like, um, I actually, I didn't go for a Pistons game. I covered an NCAA tournament there. They put me, my media seat was literally above the catwalk in this stadium. And they, I mean, it's got to be over 22,000. I mean, I'm telling you, this this arena is huge. But it's out in Auburn Hills. When you fly into Detroit, it's like 45 minutes to an hour to get there. Like, they don't play anywhere near Detroit. 
It's far, man, far. Okay. And so it's weird because you drive out, it would be like, I don't know, um, you know, when you see it's Auburn Hills, but they're the Detroit Pistons. But like a lot of cities, they're, you know, right downtown. You go to Oklahoma City, you walk out the door, you're in Oklahoma City. You go to Memphis, you walk out the door, you're in Memphis. You go, I mean, all over, you know, you're pretty well in the city. They are like really far out. So I actually really love this idea of them moving into the city. I guess the story was the owner lived out there. It's obviously you know very affluent part of town, but it's weird because it's like your regular old suburb, and then there's this big ass arena in the middle of it, you know. Yep. And there's no like there's no like city really, right? It's just like you would be in any suburb USA, and then a massive arena in the middle of it, uh, and it's far from the airport, like far. Especially if traffic's bad. So I, I, I hope Detroit moves downtown. I always like the authenticity of a city being in the downtown of wherever these, you know, whatever they wear on their chest, right? I'm looking right now on Google Maps, and it says it's a, at this moment, 12.07 p.m. Eastern, that it's a 50-minute ride out to the Palace at Auburn Hills from the airport. It's crazy. But for, for Caesars Arena, where they're moving to, it's a 23-minute drive. So it cuts the drive in half from the airport. Um, maybe more players live uh, downtown, right? So maybe it'll be easier on the, on the guys on the team to, as well, never mind the teams traveling into the city. So yeah, I think I think it's a good move. And I, I remember reading this morning, I believe, in, in the Detroit Free Press that It'll generate more economic Im- impact for the city, create more jobs. So hopefully that's the case and it works out for everybody. All right, last thing. i got to bust your ass on something because you wrote about the Odin saying he was the biggest bust. Uh-oh. And, and th- But then you like kind of just casually mentioned Kwame and Olawakandi and some of these guys, right, who really did nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you ain't even going to mention Hashim Thabit? Okay. Like, oh, I mean, what? I was focusing on number one picks. Just to be fair, just, just right, I don't, I don't care if it was number one or number two. The beat literally never did anything ever. Like Kwame Brown or Olawa Candy, at least they had like a couple games, like a couple of games probably that were good games. <laughs> like well, she, well, the beat never did anything. Give, give He's the scoop, Chris. You were there in Memphis for the first year and a half of his career. I mean, did what happened? Oh, I, listen, I I did a bit on the radio before he got drafted. I threatened to uh, to commit suicide on the front steps of the forum <laughs> oh if God. they took him. And so they still took him. I think him. they wanted I think they wanted me to kill my <laughs> <laughs> They still took the guy. I'm like, "Are you serious?" Or imagine um, if they took James Harden. Oh. Stephen Curry, all the names available. Oh yeah, hey, why, why don't you keep on reading them off? Uh, yeah. DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> <laughs> Tyreek, Tyreek was right there. Was a bunch Rubio, of them. you would have had to wait a while. Hey, but you I'm gonna tell you. Hey, listen, to this. I, I, I should not cop to this, but I will. Um, that year, Harden went three. Is that right? Yeah. All right, I go. went. I went to all the workouts for that draft. I would have been mad. I mean, mad, mad. If they would have taken James Harden, I really? thought he. Oh, I thought he was a dog. I now again, in fairness, his name didn't come up till late in the year. If you go back in time, so I go out of my way to watch the NCAA tournament with Arizona State when he's in it. Right? They were one and out, and he was awful in the tournament game. So that like had a big impact on me. Right? I'm watching it. I'm like, dude, I don't want anything with this old man move guy 
Then he comes to the workout here and was awful, terrible. I mean, he's bad, man. And I don't know if he was dogging it because he didn't want the Grizzlies to draft him or what. But I, in retrospect, I've never. There's two, the two guys that I've been, I was totally wrong on after seeing them work out in a draft workout were Harden and Paul George. Those two guys. Because George just got thrown around by other guys, right? He just didn't. Yep. He looked like a laissez faire, I'm really talented, so I don't have to play that hard kind of guy to me. But damn. I guess, uh, hey, hey, no big whoop. I was just wrong about like two of the 10 best players in the NBA. We <laughs> <laughs> have a feature in this, Chris. <laughs> no big whoop. Uh, hey, listen, I, I, maybe I'm better at uh, telling you when a guy's awful. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I got beat up last week. And people were tweeting me throughout the week uh, defending. Uh, you remember when I said uh, you and I had the argument about Collie Stein? Oh, yeah, and I saw those I, tweets. And I yeah. said I don't like guys that can't shoot, pass, or dribble. And then they were like, well, DeAndre Jordan can't, Tyson Chandler can't. Like, they were naming off all these, like, yeah. really awesome rebounders. Yep. So allow me to correct myself. I don't like guys that can't dribble, pass, shoot, or rebound. <laughs> <laughs> you got to add on that one. That's a big one. A big man who can't rebound, that, that, that's, that's a big qualifier. It's, it's a lot harder to find those guys now. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kevin O'Connor, have an unbelievable Thanksgiving break, brother. We'll catch up with you next week. You too, Chris. All right. Thanks, man. Kevin O'Connor, thanks for listening to another edition of the NBA show. If you like what we're doing, head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review. Everybody have an unbelievable Thanksgiving. Thanks again to Sling TV. It's finally basketball season. Where are you watching the games? At a crusty sports bar crammed onto your friend's couch? You can do better. With Sling TV, watch NBA games on your terms and your turf. The Sling Orange service has hoops on ESPN and TNT, plus more live TV on top networks, all for 20 bucks a month. No long-term contracts, no hidden fees. Start watching for seven days free at sling.com backslash ringer NBA. Restrictions apply.